At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Alexis Bernicki here with Mets outfielder Kevin Pillar. Um, obviously, I'm covering the draft. You're a big league outfielder, but everybody who's made it to the big leagues has a draft story. So I think the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, what was your draft experience like? The Blue Jays selected you in the 32nd round, 2011, I believe. So what was your draft experience like? Um, it was... It was emotional. It was uh, definitely an emotional roller coaster. I think even dating back to the previous uh, draft, previous you know summer off season, um, I was a draft eligible junior, coming off a you know pretty historic season, um, in which I I set the record uh, with that fifty four game hit streak, you know hit near four hundred, you know was an all American at you know, Cal State Dominguez Hills, yes, it's a Division II school, but, you know, I felt like I had, had accomplished everything that, uh, you know, needed to be accomplished uh, in order for uh, people to take me seriously, to maybe overlook the fact that I was playing at Division II school, um, you know, that I could play this game and that I was worthy of being drafted. And, um, you know, I, I went... Uh, I remember in the summer of 2010, I went to a workout at Dodger Stadium. Um, it was my first ever time on a big league field. Uh, you know, local guys, uh, you know, and I felt like it was a step in the right direction in order to get drafted. And, you know, that following that, following that workout that afternoon I got on a flight and, and flew to Wisconsin to, to play in the Northwoods League I got invited to play there with that summer league and and felt like I was going there to in my mind I was going there for a couple of days to stay sharp that I was going to get drafted and went out there and I remember being at an indoor hitting facility during day two of the draft which was a very very reasonable possibility for me to get drafted and uh never heard my name called and stayed optimistic until the next day thinking okay I'm definitely gonna hear my name called on the third day and uh zero calls from any communication of any local scouts or any teams reached out to me so you know what I what felt like was going to be a 
short stay in the state of Wisconsin ended up being a entire summer of playing wood bat league, which uh, looking back now, it's easy to look back now in the position I'm in and be like, you know, that was a great thing that happened to me. Um, I made some great friends out there. I got to play uh, in a really fun wood and competitive wood bat league. I think for me, that was really the first time I played with guys um, maybe in a, you know, step above me as far as the, the competition, as far as uh, them, a lot of them being division one athletes, a lot of them playing at, uh, you know, power five conferences. Um, and at that time is when I realized that I could hold my own at that at any level. Um, and then we fast forward to the following um, off season, the draft time, same went to a couple only really a, only a couple local uh uh workouts one of which was with the blue jays in huntington beach went to a dodger workout a reds workout not not really as many as i thought maybe i should have been invited to but um i knew that there was no alternative i knew i was a senior i knew that i couldn't go back to school so i felt like i was going to get drafted and I remember getting together with my parents, my brother, a couple of my my close high school friends or college friends at like a local sports bar um, where I grew up on day two of the draft. And in our minds, somewhere between like the seventh and 20th round was not out of the question. And I remember sitting there with them and, you know, thinking it was just going to happen and uh, it never happened. And I remember having to leave that uh, that sports bar with my parents, my brother, and my wife at the time. Or not, she was my wife at the time, my future wife. Uh, went back home and uh, it's pretty devastated. I thought I had accomplished a lot in my four years of college. I thought I was worthy of giving an opportunity and it hadn't happened yet. Um, I did get a phone call later that evening from a local area raised scouts who told me that couldn't tell me when, but he felt, he told me that on day three, if I was around that uh, the Rays would select me and give me an opportunity to go play. And um, I think looking back on it, it's not exactly what I wanted to hear. I think probably it did give me some comfort going to sleep at night um, that night, but I was still pretty, upset with the way things had kind of transpired over the last two years and I vividly remember getting up the next morning my parents and brother were at work uh me and my wife or girlfriend at the time maybe uh, I think just girlfriend at the time we're at my parents house woke up we were making breakfast and I it wasn't the first thing I did in the morning either. Right? We were up just kind of moving around and led to breakfast. And I just said, oh, I'm just going to turn the draft on on my phone. And it was just audio at that point. And I remember I might have jumped in and it was already the 32nd round. I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember hearing two of my college teammates drafted I heard two of the got two of my college teammates drafted in the 32nd round. Uh, one's name was Carlos Leva. I think he was actually drafted by the Mets. And then Jonathan Keener, 
he was actually drafted by the Cardinals. Um, and there was like a level of excitement because I knew I had some teammates that got drafted. Um, but then there was still this kind of eerie feeling of like, am I going to hear my name? And sure enough, two or three picks later, I heard my name selected by the Blue Jays. And it was kind of strange that all three of us went in the same round within like four or five picks. Um, but I remember hearing it and it not really resonating like that I actually got drafted. I had to like go back and look at my phone and see my name was actually selected. And I have all the teams in the, you know, Major League Baseball, it was Toronto, which was like the most foreign thing to me in the whole world. Um, didn't know any, really anything about Toronto Blue Jays and who their manager was or even who their players were. I mean, growing up in Southern California, they, it wasn't a team that was uh, on TV very, very much. Um, so regardless of that, I was just, you know, pretty excited. I think my parents called me right away and were pretty excited. And then I think the local area scout, Kevin Fox, called me on the phone shortly after that and uh, congratulated me and kind of – walk me through kind of the next steps that were involved. Um, and I remember I just graduated college on maybe that Friday or Friday or Thursday, got drafted on the day after or two days after. And I remember, I remember them telling me that I needed to be in Florida on Sunday. And I remember just being like, Hey, I'm graduating college. Can I, I'm having a graduation party on Saturday. Can I come Sunday or can I come the following day? They're like, no. So we just kind of moved everything up. We had a little graduation party and I was on a plane the next day and got to Florida and really, really had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I think they told me that they were going to sign me for a thousand dollars and I asked for two and they said, no, we'll give you one. And I said, okay, I'll take it. And I was, I was on my way. And I mean, you mentioned, obviously, you had a 54 game hit streak in college. Um, I think, you know, you went unrecruited from by D1s out of high school. You were going to these draft workouts, you were having success. Obviously, it's easy to say in retrospect, now that you're, you know, a veteran big leaguer, but you, you had the tools there. What do you think, I guess, you know, were there division two connotations? Like, do you think there was hesitation? What do you think made it take so long? Well, I, th I think without hesitation, I would say, I, I think that there's uh, a, a stigma, there's uh, a feeling towards players that don't play division one. Um, but as you were saying that, I was kind of processing the information of what I've been able to kind of go through and experience now, you know, being at, you know, I think this was my 10th, spring training this year seeing all the young kids that come in whether they're high school kids or college kids I think the I think the easier thing to answer is I think teams just value raw tools so much I was a good baseball player but I didn't necessarily fall into this showcase type of player where I wasn't going to just launch homers MVP I wasn't going to overwhelm you with arm strength um, I wasn't going to be the fastest guy in the 60 yard dash, but I knew how to play the game. I feel like I brought a lot of intangibles. I brought, uh, you know, a winning atmosphere, a winning culture, a winning attitude. Um, 
you know, I was a good teammate. I've been a good teammate. Just a lot of things that aren't quantifiable um, when it comes to drafting a guy. I think these are a lot of things that they, they hope that they could teach people along the way. You can't really teach raw talent. And I think the draft, not only in this sport, but a lot of sports get caught up in um, just pure talent. They want to see, damn, this guy can hit the ball really far. We'll teach him how to hit. Or this guy's got a cannon. We'll teach him how to throw strikes. Uh, this guy can fly. We'll teach him how to get on base, but that's not necessarily how it always works. I think guys that don't have those raw five tools that are just good, solid baseball players get extremely undervalued in the draft world. Um, I think where it starts to level out is when you get to minor league baseball and everyone's playing against you know, the best talent they've probably ever played against. And there's certain people that go out there and, you know, learn how to survive and learn how to thrive, um, you know, under those circumstances. A guy like myself who went from Division two, never really played with a wood bat, was now playing with, you know, guys that got drafted, some of the best young players in the world. And I can name... 20, 30 guys that were way more talented with me just in my own organization um, that I came up with that I played with at different levels. And I was the first one to make it. I'm the one who's been here the longest that's still playing um, because, you know, I just feel like I'm a good baseball player. I didn't, I was, I didn't rely on, you know, one or two or three singular tools in order for me to, to impact the game. Um, and I think that's where the drafts, draft has um, some flaws. I mean, obviously, they do a pretty good job. You know, you see a lot of, uh, you know, first overall or first round, second round, third round picks uh, pan out. You obviously guys see guys like me that were drafted in the 32nd round come up and, uh, you know, play in the major leagues for as long as I have. So, like, it's not a completely flawed system. It's just uh, – it does have its flaws, and I think it, it, it definitely favors the people that, um, you know, are just people that are trying to develop tools as opposed to trying to develop uh, just being a good baseball player. And, I mean, obviously you've been around long enough to play with a ton of great players, play in the big leagues with a ton of big leaguers. I, and I'm sure you mentioned it among the, the different factors that you've already talked about, but is there anything that you can kind of pinpoint to that, you know, might get lost when you are looking for those players, those first rounders, those tools, when, you know, you get to the 20th round where we are going to be cut off this year that might be missed when, when the draft process comes around? Yeah, I thought about, I, I was trying, like, I, I think on the surface, it kind of, it kind of up, upsets me a little bit um that they are cutting the draft um to 20 rounds you know obviously I was a 36 round but do the math I don't get drafted but then I started to spend a little bit more time thinking about it when I knew I was going to talk to you and maybe that's not maybe that's not entirely true it's easy to say because I was 36 round you know minus 12 12 rounds it puts you at you know 20 but maybe a team takes me sooner maybe maybe I don't know the mindset of what, you know, front offices, scouts, uh, major league baseball teams go through, but maybe 
you got 20 rounds, you're one through five rounds, you're looking for superstar, perennial all-star, Hall of Fame type of talent that you can project that you're going to roll the dice on and hope that these guys pan out. And then maybe your next 15 rounds, you're looking for guys that can be everyday Major League Baseball players, fringe all-stars, impact players. Um, I don't really know how they break that down in, in terms of how many picks they're going to spend on trying to hit the home run and how many they're going to just try to, you know, hit singles or doubles on. Um, but I just still think there's a lot of things in, in this sport um, that are just unquantifiable when it comes to what helps people uh, succeed or what helps people fail. You can't always quantify what's between someone's ears. You can't fully always understand how someone's going to fail for the first time and how they're going to respond. You can't fully understand how someone's going to react to leaving home for the first time and being sent to Bluefield, West Virginia and having to have a complete culture shock and, and realize how much you really love this game, how much you want to grind, how much you want to put into this game. Um, you're not going to understand how people are just going to adjust to a lot of different things that minor league baseball throws at you. It's not the most glamorous. It's not the most uh, fun thing to do all the time. Um, it really does at some point come down to survival of the fittest, um, especially at the lower levels. As you move up, it becomes a little bit uh, easier to thrive as opposed to survive. Um, but there's a lot of things that you just can't fully understand or you can't predict um, when you just watch someone go out there and run, throw, hit, and field. And I don't know if you've ever talked to, to the Blue Jays front office about that process. I know I talked to Andrew Tanish last year, and he was saying even in the draft room, he was the scouting director at the time for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now he's the VP of international scouting. But he was saying in the draft room when they were talking about you, Tim Rooney, the regional cross-checker, kept coming and saying, you know, when are we going to take Kevin? When are we going to take Kevin? And I do think to your point where it might have forced them to take you sooner he, Andrew, was thinking at the time, we have some time, you know, we have some time before we can get to this guy. And obviously, Kevin Fox, the area scout, was pushing for it. Tim Rooney, regional cross-checker, pushing for it in the draft room. But I don't know, have you ever talked to those guys about the process or anything that they saw in you at all? No, uh, I've never really had that. I've never really had that conversation with them. Um, I think for a long time, it was my... Uh, I think for a long time it was my motivation to get to the big leagues and, and perform at the big league level. Um, it was the chip I carried on my shoulder for, you know, majority of my time working myself up to the big leagues and working myself into a position where I've established myself. Um, but it was never something where I guess during my early playing days, I wanted to have those conversations and really understand it. I think more so when I have conversations um, like this with someone like you that, that covers the draft and kind of makes me go back and, and think about all those feelings and things I experienced. It would be a conversation uh, worth having and just trying to understand it. And I think, you know, even more so in post-career when I'm trying, wherever I've, 
whatever I fall on, I think I'm always going to be uh, attracted or connected to the fact that I was a late round draft pick and I, I made it and just trying to be a, a resource or a role model or a voice of, you know, players that, uh, you know, there are different paths and different routes in order to get to where you want to get to. Um, it would be worth having that conversation, you know, at, at that point in time and just try to get into the minds of what these guys think. And, you know, hopefully that would help me better help, help me, uh, help some of these younger guys that are, um, you know, maybe going through that stuff that are looking for, you know, input or resources or advice. And I mean, in that vein, I will, I will kind of try to wrap this up a little bit with just kind of asking you, you know, what kind of advice do you have for, for players, for division two players, for players heading into their draft, not knowing, you know, there's only 20 rounds, what's going to happen. And then, uh, you know, as they continue how to, how to take that if you're a 20th round draft pick versus, you know, first round draft pick. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think the, my, my best, I think my best advice that I probably gave myself and it probably came from my dad. Um, was if you got a Jersey on your back, you got an opportunity to go out there and, and, and prove yourself every single day. And that's kind of the mindset that I took. Um, once I got to Dunedin, Florida for the first time and I was in a minor league or major league spring training facility uh, with a Blue Jays uniform and a number on it and a name on it that even though it does matter to some degrees when, where, when you were drafted or where you were drafted, um, at the end of the day, you got an opportunity to go out there and outwork and outperform whoever was drafted in front of you, no matter how much money they signed for, no matter how many more opportunities they might get than you, you might get as a, a later round draft pick. That was always my mindset every single day is it does not matter where I was drafted. Yes. I might not be able to start today where I might not be able to get the opportunity to play four or five days in a row, but I will stay ready. I will prepare for my opportunity. And when it comes, I will not miss that opportunity. And if I swing and miss on that first one, I will put my head down. I will continue to work and I will stay ready for that next opportunity. And eventually I will get that opportunity and I will run with it. And I think that was kind of the story of my minor league career. I remember I started the first game of my ever first game ever of my minor league career. And I don't even really, really remember what the results were Then I remember I sat for a couple of days and I played maybe two days. And then I sat for a couple of days and I know at that point I wasn't playing really well, sat down with my hitting coach, told him you can make all the excuses in the world for me. I'm not going to make any for myself. You're going to tell me I was a 32nd round draft pick. I don't belong here. I've never played with the wood bats. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know how to hit and I want to be better. And we sat down and we figured out a little bit of a routine um, in the batting cage and during BP to just hold me accountable for trying to get ready for games as opposed to just trying to maybe hit home runs or trying to pull the ball or whatever it may have been at that period of time. And went from never playing and hitting maybe 100 to winning a Abbey League batting title two months later. Went from a nobody to a somebody who won the Midwest League MVP the following year, only playing half a season, who found himself in high A 
one year after being drafted, who was in double A to start the next year, who moved to triple A, got to the big leagues in two years when no one ever thought it was a possibility. Baseball America never had me, uh, you know, ranked maybe higher than a 20th prospect because of my age and my lack of, you know, physical tools, um, but was in the big leagues two years after being drafted from division two college. And it was literally because I felt like I could outwork and outperform and stayed ready for my opportunity. I will say there is added appreciation for you joining the baseball America podcast with, with, how baseball America may have ranked you back then too. And I just, I will ask you one more quick thing because I'm very interested. What made you ask for $2,000 when they offered you one? Was there something you wanted to buy? I wanted to buy an iPhone. And I knew that <laughs> living in California, I knew with tax that uh, I wouldn't be able to afford it. And honestly, like I, another thing about the whole draft thing to the draft and the minor leagues is, I didn't really have any, I didn't really have anyone from my high school that I knew very well, uh, anyone from my area that I knew very well, um, that kind of went down that path and that journey. I didn't really have like someone to look up to or a role model and someone to call and be like, hey, why am I in the shittiest town in America in West Virginia? Is this how it always is? Um, so I was experiencing a lot of that stuff for the first time, you know, aside from maybe what I had seen in movies like Bull Durham and stuff like, you know, I had no idea. And I just felt like, honestly, when they called, I felt like at that point I had nothing to lose and I thought I would just ask for it. And maybe that was like maybe a little Jerry Maguire that I just felt <laughs> like, hey, I'm, I didn't have an agent. I was, you know, I was myself. I just said, well, why not ask? You know, what's the worst they could say is no. So and I didn't, I didn't, you know, ask for the stars, ask for an extra thousand dollars. And they said no. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love that you did it. I, I'm, I'm sure that they, you know, would go back in time knowing what they know and hand you over a brand new iPhone and, and yeah. offer you all the, the stars in the moon. Maybe I would have just, maybe I should have just asked for a phone instead of money. Maybe they would have, <laughs> maybe would have done that. <laughs> the negotiating process I'm sure is something that you've uh you've worked your way into knowing a whole lot more about this is true <laughs> well I just appreciate you taking the time um I I love talking draft and I love uh you know listening to your experiences and I'm grateful that you shared them with with me and with the podcast so I just can't thank you enough for joining me thank you At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.